A year has passed since Cho Jubin, the uh, infamous uh, perpetrator of the so-called telegram sextortion scandal, also known as the Enthroom scandal, was sent to the prosecution on March 25th last year. This incident, once it became known to the public through the media, uh, faced and resulted in a huge public backlash and anger and a demand for stronger punishment of these perpetrators since the current sentencing guidelines for cyber sex crimes were very weak. So now with more than 3,000 perpetrators arrested and other events taking the place of the news in the headlines, uh, we seem to have had the scandal fade from public memory a bit. But there are, unfortunately, more crimes similar to the Telegram scandal, and it is unfortunate that there are going to be uh, future victims as well. So to discuss what has happened during the past year and what we should uh, look ahead for in the upcoming year uh, with in regards to this one-year anniversary of the Enthroom scandal, we're pleased to be joined by Kang hye creative director of Media Incubator Ori and creator of InterV, a media experimental short films um, company. Hello. Hi. Good to hear from you, Henry. Yeah. Thank you for joining us once again, Hedian. Uh, first, could you just kind of walk us back? As we say, um, everything's kind of the news cycle gets crazy and you start seeing things and people have short term memory. But could you just go over once again the timeline of the Enthroom scandal and uh, how it came to the surface and, and how you kind of approached the story as it was developing? So we should go back to the fall of 2019 when two reporters, still in college at the time, um, were applying for a competition to win journalism awards. The the reporters would now later be called Team Flame, and they were the first to break the story about the sex crimes happening on Telegram. They, in the course of reporting and trying to apply, participate in the competition for college. Um, they found the the end rooms and other rooms on Telegram, and they embedded themselves in these rooms, uh, recording everything, cooperating with police, and eventually helping publicize this issue through major outlets like Hanyare and Kuminibu. And um, Telegram became this Telegram incident became much more widely known in the public in early 2020 when. Um, People started petitioning at the Blue House, and the police started becoming aware of it. And so arrests started happening incredibly quickly in the, in March of 2020. That's when Cho Jubing was arrested. And, and the, uh, yeah, go ahead. Fast forward to fast forward to over a year later. Um, major revisions have been made in the in in our legal system, and um, thousands more have been arrested. The Unfortunate reality here in Korea is that sex crimes are nothing new, and and there are horrific sex crimes and crimes that uh, target uh, young students. What would you say are some of the differentiating characteristics of the Enthroom scandal and why it did, um, I guess, resonate with the public more, cause so much more of a public outcry? Well, first, I think we need to clarify the term Enthroom, Mm. right? Enthroom is a convenient term used widely by the public and especially the media, but it's not actually a um, the correct term to refer to these mm. crimes. Enthroom actually refers to eight rooms on Telegram created by Bun Hyung-uk, and it was a coveted category of rooms by participants who had to pay for entry. But there are so many other types of rooms on Telegrams, like rooms divided by the category of women or like 
violate your acquaintance room, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So a better name for these rooms would be just sex crimes on Telegram. Mm. Uh, to go to your question, how is the end room different from other sex crimes and if it res- how, why it resonated with the public? Well, I think an easy answer to that may be because they were so sensational and there were so many young women involved. You know, there were minors who had to do horrendous things on video yeah. to, you know, be disseminated as content for these men who who looked at it as a genre of pornography, right? So the sensationalism I think was what resonated and the and the and the age. But also my 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 question is, is the is the sex crime on Telegram so different from other sex crimes? You know, if yeah. you think about it, it's based on the same sort of violence and misogyny and reduction of women into objects that you see in multiple other sex crimes, not just on the Internet, but offline. And secondly, digital sex crimes are already, unfortunately, a norm- normative, normalized part of our lives because of the proliferation of the Internet. And these kinds of websites. So if you look at the crimes that's been already happening, telegram sex crimes were just a, a repetition of very similar sort of crimes that's been happening on different parts of the web. For example, welcome to video. Mm-hmm. You know, this was um, previously one of the biggest child pornography websites in the world that was created by a South Korean man called Sun Jung Woo. Um, and there's also rape porn, secretly filmed content on countless porn websites, not just in Korea. And there's the misogyny that you see on Ilbe, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. It's, it's endless. It is endless. And uh, as you've uh, obviously pointed out in the past, there's a bit of a reactive element here in Korean society. Just examples, um, other crimes like the, the, the horrific um, abuse of the adopted baby Tongin and how that spurred a public outcry and then resulted in uh, the police and the National Assembly kind of scrambling to, to get some kind of response that would satisfy the public's anger or the Yun chang law, which, of course, um, resulted in stiffer penalties for drunk driving. A lot of people wonder why weren't these things in place before? There has been a reactive element to this, both by the police and the National Assembly, once again, with the politicians in terms of how to respond to this uh, telegram sex scandal. Can you just talk about um, why there were some inadequacies there systemically, but also some of the main uh, difficulties that have been faced, especially for these victims who do want to see some justice done? Yeah, I think uh, I think you're totally right. One of the problems legally is that reaction has been so reactive and not preventative, right? Um, to be fair, you know, team... Team Flame, the reporters who first broke the story, have said the individual police officers who helped their case um, and their reporting were very helpful. Mm. Right? But systemically, um, a large problem is that the, the, the legal enforcement, the law enforcement in South Korea, like many other institutions, um, is still male-dominated. Right. And gender sensitivity and understanding regarding these sex crimes, not just digital sex crimes, but sex crimes, is still very lacking. Um, when we talk specifically about digital sex crimes, they're for, unfortunately not still not seen as something that's as severe because, you know, they're either not physical and they're just quote-unquote virtual, and also a lot of these sex crimes, um, they are not seen as something that 
induce humiliation, which is actually like um, part of the the legal qualification for a case to qualify as a case, right? Yeah. And so all these questions come up about okay, if it, but it's not physical. But how about the actual harms that's induced on the victim, and what is actually the meaning of something that induces humiliation, right? Just because someone was filmed with clothing on, does it mean it's not humiliating? Right. Does someone have to be naked on camera? Um, so all these different questions that reflect a limited understanding of sexual harassment and violence in general and all these nuances in power dynamics, the language is not just catching up to these nuances. Yeah, and, so despite um, that uh, yeah. misunderstanding mm-hmm. or um, lack of uh, nuance in terms of how to be better compassionate and empathetic to these victims and understand what exactly are violations of their human rights and, and their dignity, um, there are, the, the reactive elements have resulted in some change. Um, could you just talk about, uh, despite what has been sort of widely derided as kind of weak uh, corporal or uh, punitive systems in place for digital sex crimes, the uh, legislation that has passed, including the Act on the Protection of Children and Youth Against Sex Offenses, and whether you feel it goes far enough? Sure. Um, Yeah, and I think you're totally right. We should give credit where credit's due. Like, the Telegram scandals have um, incited a huge public discourse, including in law enforcement. And so the biggest thing that a lot of experts and scholars say is that there's a change in perception, especially in law enforcement, where digital sex crimes are increasingly referred to as digital sex crimes, not porn or boys will be boys entertainment. And one of the many examples you see in this sort of progress is key perpetrators like Chojubin getting sentenced decades, at least in the first round of trials. Mm -hmm. And this was unheard of um, before, where you know, punishment for digital sex crimes are notoriously light. And so you also mentioned the act um, uh, that was revised and passed last year, which include higher penalties for people who possess, distribute, and even watch offensive content. And big platforms like Naver and Google are held slightly more accountable. Um, sting operations in, will be legal for sex crimes involving minors, so on and so forth. So there have been strides and there are um, legal improvements. But what makes this, uh, and what Professor Yi Su-jung, who's a forensic psychologist, actually said that all this is just sewing on the first button, right? We're just sewing on the first button and we need to have two, three, five, fifty more buttons on the clothing. Mm. Um, because what makes this very difficult, despite the legal developments that have happened, is that the very nature of digital sex crimes and the technology involved makes these crimes incredibly difficult to enforce, right? I mean, the very generalist term that we use called digital sex crimes don't reflect the diversity and methods of these crimes. And what also makes it difficult is the transnational nature, which makes these crimes bureaucratically a nightmare to enforce because it requires international cooperation. So there's a lot of things that still need to be done. But yes, I think that it, it is a positive sign that people are more interested and this is becoming seen as more of a serious issue. Yeah, and one of the the points you raised here and really uh, poignant here, I think, leads us to this next question is you, you mentioned how it's incredibly difficult to enforce these and that part of that stems from the incredibly difficult investigative process 
you have, especially when you deal with these social media companies. There's a reason why this occurred on Telegram, and that is the fact that Telegram, uh, for the most part, have refused to cooperate with authorities in terms of uh, demands to to open their servers up to, to get the membership roles out there. Uh, th- that is why it has been allowed to proliferate up till now uh, through a medium like Telegram and also the kind of inherent anonymity that offered by these various media firms. We've seen similar crimes now continue on what are deemed to be much more open platforms like Twitter or Discord. Do the social media platforms themselves also have a, a responsibility to bear here, or is it something that is really more on the onus of the investigators? I mean, this is the big one of the biggest questions of our age, right? If there are um, terrorist attacks that have stemmed from YouTube or Facebook, how much are mm-hmm. these platforms uh, responsible? Personally, I think that they have a huge responsibility because they create the ecosystem for these climates. So beyond retroactively deleting content, they have to create some sort of policies to prevent these crimes. So... Um, and you, you've said that, you know, Telegram has not cooperated and they have not been held accountable legally. And under the revised law in Korea, large platforms uh, are obligated to release transparency reports about their how they're making an effort to tackle digital sex crimes. So they're, they're held accountable somewhat, but not enough. But then the problem is if they are held accountable to prevent these um, and monitor what's happening um, on their platforms, that raises another issue because some people are concerned about violating users' privacy rights. So this is, this is very complicated. It is indeed. Um, a lot of people will remember that the reason why Telegram initially became popular here among Korean users was the fact that during the Park administration, there was a suspicion that uh, users were, uh, in, uh, the government was somehow eavesdropping on conversations through Kakao. And so a lot of people felt that they felt safer moving on to what would be a more secure platform. Again, as you say, there's competing interests here and it's not necessarily a cut and dry black and white issue. Uh, You have several times mentioned uh, the uh, journalist group that broke this story, Team Flame. Uh, Can you just describe your interactions with them? Because there has been a lot of dissatisfaction overall in the so-called mainstream media uh, landscape and, you know, these derogatory terms like kiregi being tossed out, that mainstream reporters really just focused on things like just clickbaiting and and trying to get headlines that are flashy and not really doing the yeoman's work of bringing out these big stories to the public that a lot of these sort of smaller so-called non-mainstream journalists are really bringing to the public's attention. Yeah, Team Flame occupy a very interesting place in Korean journalism, where I think um, journalists, what counts as journalists, is, has a more rigid definition, right? You have to pass an exam and be accredited. Yeah. But Team Flame are two independent journalists who are working on this issue. And um, last week, we at Intervie, the experimental media that I'm working at, mm. um, Intervie invited Team Flame on Zoom to talk about the one-year anniversary of the Enthroom. And we actually talked about how, as journalists, um, we have to report on this issue and diversify our language to understand you know, the intricacies of digital sex crimes. Um, what struck me was that you know they are so young, and they started this project as you know, to get better jobs in the journalism industry, to get, you know, and this was part of a, a, a journalism competition, right? And, and they, 
because of this, they embed, ended up embedding themselves in these telegram rooms every day, and they witnessed and experienced trauma. And this has been such an important turning point in how they also have an expanded imagination about what journalism can be. So I thought that was very fascinating. And really, I think, you know, we stem from uh, a, a long history, a lot of conflating issues here, whether we're talking about the Sajihan and the so-called beginning of the Me Too movement here in Korea. Uh, but these questions that are rising now with how we treat women in society and really the, uh, I think, competing issue here as well, this increasing alienation and um, disaffected sentiment among young males, which you, you pointed out, Ilbe, but uh, there does seem to be this schism that has always been, of course, existent, but seems to be more brought to the fore here, where even so-called pro- progressives in Korea don't necessarily have necessarily the, the, the most enlightened approach when it comes to gender issues. So what are some of the remaining questions in your view that remain, and where do we go uh, from here at, at, on this one-year anniversary? Well, one thing you mentioned that sticks out to me is this so-called gender schism and that how often we treat this false equivalency of what's happening to women as men as equal subjects, especially mm-hmm. in the media. Yeah. Um, and and it's especially misleading because a lot of the issues that make these men frustrated are not caused by women, right? But they're often blamed by women. Right. So these media narratives have to start changing to not call these schisms schisms, but for what they are and actually talk about the actual causes behind why the men are frustrated. Um, for the for the telegram sex crimes, I think some of the key remaining qu- issues is, I've mentioned this before, but how do we diversify our language and how do we reflect this diversity institutionally, especially legally? And also, how do we accept and understand that these crimes aren't some shocking new sensational story, but mm. they're rooted in our very society and our world. You know, they reflect Korean society and the way women are treated. And how do we understand more deeply how? Overall, do you think we are moving in the right direction? For example, I mean, both of us um, spend it, have spent time in the States. Do you think the U.S. gets it right? Do you think the conversations going on there, and I know social media and Twitter aren't the be-all and end-all, but um, the fact that these conversations are occurring would seem to be at least an optimistic development and, you know, hopefully glacial change of pace, but uh, move ev- shift everyone along in towards a, a more positive direction. I, I'm, I don't want to be a cynic, but yeah. I am very cautious about calling something a positive change because the same moment we are having these these discussions in some other part of the world, there's more heinous crimes happening, yeah. right? Just like the same time we're talking about, you know, a more elevated form of democracy, there are all sorts of terrorist attacks and and um, new developments on the other side happening, right? So. I don't really know um, if it's a positive development. I do think it is enriching to have these new questions happening in some pockets of the world. Let me be conservative. Okay. And on a final note, because last time we spoke, I think it was at the uh, tail end of the uh, the Korea Exposé era. Could you just talk about uh, the current projects? You, you are the creative director of this uh, media incubator, Ori, and you mentioned Intervi as well, which is sort of a short film um, uh, company and, and some of the work that you've been involved in uh, thus far. And uh, maybe plug yourself uh, for some of our listeners. 
Yeah, um, I think Intervi and Media Incubator already are doing things that Team Flame is trying to do, expand the notion of what journalism can be in South Korean society. And we do that through different educational projects and um, experimental short films where we have a whole range of different um, protagonists, including, you know, we made a film on called The End Room, The Color of Rage mm. last year. Um, and, um, and I think one of our missions is related to the, the, what I was saying in the previous question, um, just to create a community where despite the lack of seeming positive changes happening, it create these pockets where these discussions could happen, you know, just increasingly, just glacially create communities where people can connect and feel, um, safer, Best uh, website to, to get in that touch. That was what we were trying to do when we were talking to Team Flame last, last right, week. Right, right. And best website to get in touch. Sorry. Best website or URL to get in touch. Um, if you type "enter we" mm. on Instagram, we are immediately available. All right, uh, Kang Hyeon, thank you very much for joining us. Important insights, and uh, hope to have you back again soon. Appreciate it. Thank you, Henry. We're moving on to part four of the program. We'll be talking about the upcoming mayoral elections on Radio Salon. Stay tuned.